Well, we will be reading Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 15 tonight. Romans 1, 8 to 15. This is God's holy, powerful, and infallible word for us, his people. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Well, this part of the letter of Romans is what we call the thanksgiving and prayer section. You can probably guess why from the content of it. And we're going to look at this section in three parts tonight. First, we'll reflect on how Paul's thanksgiving and prayer here in verses 8 to 10 can invite us to a bigger vision of faith and prayer. And second, we'll work with verses 11 and 12 to reflect on the gospel growing deeper in the lives of believers And finally, we'll look at the last couple verses of our text to ponder the gospel growing and going around the world. So we'll start tonight by talking about the bigger vision of faith and prayer that Paul gives us here in these verses. Now, when we lived in Nigeria, I hated, hated walking around outside after dark. Hardly anybody had electric light there. So when it got dark, it got really, really dark. And there were no sidewalks or anything, just dirt tracks and fields and little ditches and streams. And the worst part of it was that nighttime was when all the snakes and the scorpions came out. So if I had to go outside at night, I made preparations. Usually there I would just wear sandals or something. But at night I'd get out my thick-soled, closed-toes, serious shoes. And I'd find a flashlight. And if I was feeling especially paranoid, I'd find two flashlights. And then I'd set out. And I'd keep my eyes on the ground, I'd look out for bumps and rocks and puddles and all of that, and I'd also keep a really good eye out for any little tuft of grass or rock that might hide something that would sting or bite me. I did not want to run into anything poisonous. And a couple times, I saw something on the road, and I had to stop and find a big stick and dispose of a scorpion or something on the way. But basically, we stayed safe. So if you pray fervently, you walk carefully, and you carry a big stick, you can get through all kinds of trouble in this life. Some free advice tonight. So that was how nighttime trips usually went for me. But sometimes as I was going along, looking down and being all paranoid, for some reason I would stop and I would look up. And because we lived somewhere where there was no electric light, the stars were amazing. You could look up and you could pick out the pattern of the Milky Way and you could see millions and millions and millions of stars. You could even pick out the planets and you could see the satellites going over at certain times. It was amazing. 
And it was always there for me to see it. All I had to do was look up from taking the next step on the path to see this great, glorious vision of God's creation and of what God has done. Now in this text, Paul invites us to do something similar, to open our eyes up to the bigger vision that's always there, but that we don't always look up to see. So Paul begins this section in verse 8 by giving thanks to God in Jesus Christ for all of the Roman believers because their faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. Now Paul is giving thanks for the believers in Rome, but really what he's giving thanks for is that God has seen fit to draw these people into the faith. The focus is more on what God has done than what the Romans have done. In the first seven verses of Romans, as we saw especially last week, Paul makes it clear that his faith and the faith of the people in Rome all depends on Jesus Christ. All of history centers on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of all things. Paul has been sent only to declare the good news of Jesus. And the basic identity of these people in Rome is that they have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. So when Paul in these next verses gives thanks for the Romans' faith, he's not really giving thanks for how strong or mighty or wonderful the Romans' faith is. What he's really giving thanks for is the fact that God has given them faith. These people who lived in Rome, who lived in the city of Caesar, who lived in the center of the ancient world, even these people have been given the, have been given the gift of faith in Christ Jesus. The gospel of the new coming king of the universe has spread to Rome. It's taken root in Rome. And the gospel is continuing to spread even farther out into the whole world as people hear about the faithful people of God. And so Paul gives thanks for that. And then in verses 9 and 10, he continues on to say that he continually, persistently, always remembers the Romans in prayer. And he's praying that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for him to come and see the people in Rome. Paul has been praying continually for those people. And a significant part of his prayers is that he could go there and preach the gospel to them. Now, I read an article this week that, that suggested that Christians too often pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. We reverse the order of the petitions. We start out by asking God for help, asking Him to keep us safe, asking Him to deliver us from evil. And then we go on and we ask for forgiveness. And then we seriously ask God to provide our daily bread. And finally, after we've covered all of those things in our prayers, we might get around to praying for God's kingdom to come and for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, after I read that article, I spent some time reflecting about a lot of the prayers that I've offered the past few weeks and I realized that a lot of them have gone something like, in short form here, God, please bless this person. God, please bless that person. God, please bless this food. God, please help us to have a good day. Amen. Now, those are pretty mundane prayers, pretty repetitious, and pretty concerned with everyday stuff. And by itself, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. Jesus told us to pray for daily bread, and it's good for us to bring even our most everyday requests to God. God made us to need food, to need shelter, and all of those things. But a steady diet of prayers that is all about God keep us safe, God give us our daily bread, 
can stunt our spiritual growth. So Romans offers us an invitation to a much broader vision. Paul himself had his fair share of physical struggles. He often went without food. He often went without shelter. He often didn't even live in safety. He had plenty of prayer requests that he could have chosen to talk about here, things he prayed for all the time, things that he asked people to pray for for him. But here in Romans, Paul focuses his thanksgiving and his prayer on the bigger vision of the good news of Jesus Christ and its spread in Rome and even its spread around the world. So tonight, as we think about our own prayers, what do we give thanks for? And what do we persistently, passionately, continually pray for? Do we give thanks for the faith, for our faith, for the spread of the faith around the world? Do we continually pray for the spread of the gospel? Do we pray that other people will grow in the faith and that other people will come into the faith? Now, as I say that, I'm worried that you're going to hear this as I'm sending you on some kind of guilt trip. But that's not what our journey through this part of Romans is about. I don't want you to beat yourself up because you should give thanks more and you should pray for the kingdom more. I don't want you to hear this as just one more thing that you got to do. I want us to hear this text, and Paul wanted his readers to hear this text, and the Holy Spirit, I think, wants us to hear this text as an invitation to giving thanks and rejoicing and joining in the work that God has doing. God is doing. We have received the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been given the grace and the gift of having faith in Jesus, the only true Lord and Savior. And we hear news about billions and billions of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and about the spread of the gospel in many, many places all the time. If there is anything to rejoice about, this is it. This is an opportunity, opportunity to give thanks. And so when we give thanks about our lives, when we go to God in prayer, let's take the opportunity to stop sometimes, to look up from the day-to-day stuff, to look at the bigger vision of what God is doing around the world, and to really passionately, persistently pray that God's kingdom would come. Sometimes when we're walking through life and, we need, and we're keeping our eyes down, we just need this reminder to look up. So let's keep giving thanks. Let's keep praying for the big picture things, for the finished work of Christ in, sa- in saving us, for the continuing work of Christ in bringing his kingdom into the world more and more, for growth in faith for ourselves and for others, for the spread of the gospel around the world, for more and more people to come more and more to love and serve our Lord. That is truly a great thing to give thanks and to pray for. So let's take that opportunity in our lives. Now with that big picture in mind, let's turn to Paul's explanation of why he's been persistently praying that he could come and visit the Romans. And the first reason that Paul gives us that he wants to go to Rome is so that the gospel can keep growing in the lives of believers there. Paul wants to go to Rome so that the gospel can keep growing in believers' lives. We know that Paul was a great evangelist and a great missionary, but he was also a great teacher and a great disciple-maker. 
In verse 11, Paul begins by telling the people at Rome that he longs to see them so that he can impart to them some spiritual gift to make him strong. Paul wants to get to Rome to encourage the Romans in the faith they already have. He desperately wants to go there and keep building up these believers. These are people who already believe in Jesus, so they don't need to hear the gospel for the first time. But Paul knows that the gospel is deep and wide and wonderful. And he wants these believers to experience even more of the riches and the wonder of the good news of Christ Jesus. No matter how well they knew, no matter how well we know the good news of Jesus Christ, there is always room to grow. The believers in Rome presumably knew that Jesus was their Savior in some sense, and they had chosen to follow him and made what could have been a pretty costly commitment to be a Christian. But they still had a lot of ways that they could grow in the gospel. They still weren't quite sure, it seems, what it meant to move from sin to salvation. They weren't quite sure how God working with the Israelites worked with God working with the Gentiles. They were still working out how to live as Christians in the light of Jesus Christ. The Romans had a lot of room to grow, and so do we. Sometimes, especially in the more evangelical tradition, you hear people talk about the Christian faith as if it's just this matter of stepping over a line. I was talking to someone from a different church tradition this week, and they wanted to know exactly, exactly when I had been born again. And I talked about how I'd always been a Christian. I grew up in a Christian family. Ever since I can remember, I had this commitment to Christ that I've kept growing in, but I've basically always been a Christian. Always had plenty of growing to do too. But this person didn't really care about that whole story. They wanted to know the day, the hour, the minute that I had stepped over the line of faith. And that was all that really mattered. Now there is some value in having that idea that there is a line of faith that we need to step over just because that's true. There is a dividing line that separates people who belong to Jesus and people who don't. And we need, we need to be on the right side of the line of people who belong to Jesus. But we also need to remember that our faith is a continual walk with God. Yes, there are certain markers on the way. Yes, you need to be on the right road. And the only road to salvation is Jesus. But if we believe in Jesus, we are still on a journey of faith that keeps going and going and going. And in some sense, that journey will never end because there is always more that we can learn about Jesus. There are always more things that we can do to serve God. We can always have clearer and purer worship of the Lord our God. There will always be ways that we can grow deeper in the good news. So let's continue on that journey. Never, never, ever be content with where you have reached on your journey of faith. Never be content with getting over the line or getting through the door. Keep growing. Keep serving. Keep on with the everlasting process of growing in your relationship with Jesus. But of course, when we talk about the gospel, it doesn't just grow deeper in the lives of people who already believe. It also grows out and it brings more and more people into God's kingdom. The gospel also keeps growing in the world. 
Paul knew that, and so he wanted to go to Rome and spread the good news also to unbelievers. At Paul's time, Rome was probably a city of about a million people, and some estimates have that there were only a hundred or so Christians there. Now, my guess would be that number for the Christians is a little bit low, but we are thinking about a huge, huge city that had a very, very low percentage of Christians. Paul is looking at a huge field, and he's thinking it is harvest time in Rome. So Paul says in verse 13 that he wants to go to Rome to have a harvest there, just like he's had in other places. Paul was a great maker of disciples, but he also had a restless missionary heart. He had a calling to spread the gospel, and that calling was a rocket that kept pushing him further and further and further out. And so Paul says here that he has his sights, his sights set on getting to Rome. And in verses 14 and 15, he says he has an obligation or a debt even to preach to the Greeks, to the non-Greeks, to the wise, to the foolish. He wants to preach to everybody. And so he wants to go to Rome. And at the end of the book of Romans, when Paul revisits this point, it turns out he doesn't see Rome as his destination. Instead, Paul sees Rome as a stopover point. He had made three really extensive journeys in the east of the Mediterranean, kind of between Rome and Jerusalem. He'd gone from city to city there for years. And sometimes he just preached one sermon and moved on. There were a couple places where he stayed for months or years and did evangelism and did discipleship. But now Paul is looking toward Rome as a launching point for him to keep going and to preach the gospel in the west. And Paul's goal seems to be to have gotten all the way to Spain. Paul wants to keep going and going, and his plan was to use Rome as a launching point to carry him to the end of the known world to bring the gospel there. Now, for Paul himself, things didn't quite work out that way. He did eventually get to Rome. He spent a couple years there, but as far as we know, he never fulfilled that vision of going past Rome to the west and all the way to the end of the earth. But if we follow the story of Christianity over the centuries, we see the church starting in Jerusalem and then exploding out into the eastern Mediterranean and the north of Africa and then going west and then taking a turn north and going up to the barbarians in what's now modern-day Germany and the Netherlands, a lot of our ancestors. And then it spreads west across the Atlantic and then the gospel explodes all around the world and you see Christianity today in huge numbers in Africa, in South America, in Asia. Christianity is the only religion that has really spread to and really belonged in all or at least almost all the parts of the world. Going all the way back to Abraham, God has promised that his people will number like the stars of the sky. And more and more, we see that being and becoming more true in this world. From Paul's time to ours, the gospel has produced an amazing harvest around the world. And as we think about this, we probably today, where we are now, fit into that story a bit like the believers did in Rome. We are citizens of one of the most powerful countries the world has ever seen. In some respects, we live at the center of the world, at least if you think in terms of power and prosperity. 
Now, these days, the majority of Christians live in what we call the global south, Africa, Asia, to some extent, South America. But most of the resources, the material resources, at least, of the church around the world are right here in our hands. So as we read this missionary gospel text tonight, it poses the question to us, how can we, how can we as powerful and prosperous people respond? What part do we have to play in spreading the gospel around the world? Now one part that I think our church is really, really good at is supporting missionaries. We had a potluck this morning where Brittany Vandernald talked about her about year-long experience last year of going around the world and doing short-term missions work in 11 different countries. And I know that this church supported her really well with finances and with prayer. We give a lot of money to a lot of different missionaries. Just to give you a couple examples, we give some money most years to Mission India, which sends Indians to plant churches in their own country. We also support Mike Vanderdyke in Nigeria, who we got to know a little bit when we lived in Nigeria. And Mike does some really incredible work with the Christian Reformed Church of Nigeria, helping them, encouraging them, and training them to send Nigerian missionaries cross-culturally. We do a lot of things as a church to send missionaries, to support missionaries, to build the kingdom of God around the world. I think that's something, honestly, we can feel good about, not feel proud about, but feel good about, that we, in many ways, use our resources quite well to support the gospel going around the world. But sometimes something we struggle with a little bit more is spreading the gospel here in our own setting. And more and more, we are living in what you could call a post-Christian culture. In some respects, it's getting harder and harder to live and to witness as Christians here. And so we need courage, we need wisdom to proclaim the gospel in our own setting. And the gospel is desperately, desperately needed here. In many ways, our culture and our nation are becoming increasingly spiritual bankrupt. bankrupt. People don't know what to do with their lives. People have no meaning and they don't know where to find it. People have no hope, and they don't know where to find it. Our culture doesn't really offer a lot of lasting good news. And just like Paul did, just like believers always have, we have the greatest news of all in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I recognize that sharing the faith is something that's difficult for us. It's something we have to kind of push ourselves a bit to work at. And that's okay. Nobody gets everything right. We all have things we kind of need to push ourselves in with the Christian life. But just like Paul could look at Rome and he could look at the ancient world and he could see field upon field ripe for the harvest, we can look around our world today and we can see fields in other countries that are ripe for the harvest and desperately need workers. But we can also look around our own neighborhood and see people who are desperately in need of the good news that we have. I had lunch with a pastor from India this week, and he told me that he'd recently had a dream. And in that dream, he was in this huge room full of tables and tables and tables of unlit candles. And the room was mostly dark, but he could see a little bit of light a little ways away. So as he walked past table after table, 
he finally came to this table that had a single burning candle on it. And naturally, he wanted to pick that candle up and light some of the other candles so he could live in the light instead of in this room full of darkness. And then he woke up. And as he reflected on this dream, this pastor felt it on his heart that that candle represented himself. And it represented every Christian in this world. Now, of course, Jesus truly is the light of the world, but Jesus also tells us, his people, that we are the light of the world. And Jesus tells us to let our light shine before others so that they can come to glorify God the Father and know Jesus Christ, his Son. If we believe in Jesus, we have the flame of the gospel burning in our lives. And we have the call to feed that flame, And we have the call to spread that flame. The flame of the gospel in us gives us power to burn like stars in the darkest night. May God enable all of us to see with kingdom vision and also to burn as his lights in this dark and needy world.